Skipping lunch, I do it myself, it seems to be very, very good. Skipping breakfast does not seem to be good at all, right? So there's study after study after study showing decreased uh, lifespan for people that skip breakfast. Well, that, well, Dr. Longer, I'm in deep shit then, if that's the case, because I don't think I've eaten breakfast in 25 years. The Gary V Audio Experience. Vayner Nation, it is great to be back on the Gary Vee Audio Experience. Uh, as we said earlier in the year, a lot less interviews, but ones that are more meaningful to me around subject matters that I'm interested in, people I'm interested in, events that I'm interested in, and today will be no different. Uh, Dr. Longo is with us. I'm going to allow Walter to introduce himself in full detail, uh, and we're going to talk about something that I've been doing my whole life. Uh, long before it became something that I think is on many more people's radars, and we're gonna poke and prod around the history of it, the current of it, uh, entrepreneurship, and and many other things that uh, I want to get to in this episode, but let's get into uh, the intro part. Uh, Dr. Longo, how are you, my friend? Good, good, how are you? I'm well. Why don't you take the floor for two, three, four minutes and tell everybody who you are, Full, full pledge. Give us some context. Okay. Well, I'm a biochemist by training, trained at UCLA, uh, also a neurobiologist uh, by training. And um, I'm now a professor of uh, biogerontology, so studying aging, basically. And uh, uh, I'm also the director of the Longevity Institute at USC. And then I, I uh, run a program on cancer and molecular oncology in Milan, Italy. Um, and that's where we do all the, most of the cancer uh, work uh, that we, uh, we're carrying out. And uh, yeah, my interest has always been since I was 19 years old, aging, uh, well, I used to be a musician, then I, I was uh, so uh, enthusiastic about aging and, and uh, uh, you know, excited about this world. And, and I was just surprised back then that nobody, that everybody was not interested in, in this. And, uh, and I have to say in the last uh, uh, 30 years, everything changed back then. Uh, uh, aging was viewed as a crazy uh, science and, you know, we were asked at UCLA, why would you work on aging? And now everything has changed, but uh, yeah. So that's all I've been doing uh, since then, the biochemistry, then genetics of aging, uh, was involved in the discovery of some of the, the key genes in the, the regulating uh, lifespan, including the tor assist kinase uh, uh, pathway in aging regulation. And then eventually we, uh, I was a student of Roy Walford. Roy back then was uh, the guru of uh, longevity and nutrition. I uh, was a famous uh, pathologist at UCLA that, that was my mentor for a number of years. And, uh, um, and since then, we've been working on nutrition uh, in parallel with the genetics of aging, working on nutrition and uh, uh, aging. And then eventually uh, used, uh, uh, defined this fasting mimicking diet as a way to keep all the benefit of what Roy Walford was wor working on, which was called calorie restriction. So what happens in people if you just severely restrict calories all the time? So I didn't like that. But and so eventually we switched from that, you know, a continuous restriction of calories, which works. It's fantastic in some sense, but bad in other senses to a periodic fasting mimicking diet. Is it possible that you can do something only three, four times a year for five days and you get all these effects, positive effects of calorie restriction? But not the negative. What, Dr. Longo, why at such a young age did you fall in love or get passionate about aging? Why, why did that happen? 
I don't know, but you know, I was a music major, uh, and uh, I just kept thinking about aging for some reason. It, I, I speculate. Were you, sca- were you were you scared to die? Were you va- were you was it vain oriented? Like you didn't want to look older? Was it vanity or was it fear or something altogether different? No, I mean not older. I mean, of course, I was 19 years old. So uh, right. I think it might have been, you know, when my grandfather died, I was five years old, and I was actually in the room when he died. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I just think that connection. You know, when you're five, being in a room and just having this sense. He of, died of a heart attack. No, he died of a cancer that he wasn't treating. You know, and he was fairly young, 75, 76, or something like that. So I just thought I wasn't affected by I, I at least I didn't think I was affected by it back then, right? I was sure. very cool and I, sure. I looked almost like I was in charge of the situation as a five year old. Yes. But then I think that just stayed in my head, you know, life is not permanent and uh and uh, so maybe I should work on that, right? Rather than than <laughs> anything else that I can think of, you know. I understand. So something very interesting with me is um I grew up you know, I was born in the former Soviet Union. Um, I came to America when I was three and, you know, my, my parents worked hard. My mom worked all day, you know, raising family. My dad worked all the time and specifically my dad, he wouldn't eat breakfast or lunch and he would always eat a lot of calories at dinner, you know, and that's how I got kind of brought up and that's the track I had. And then somewhere along the line in my mid twenties, you know, I started to gain weight for the first time in my life. And in my late 20s, I was gaining enough weight that I was like, wait a minute, this sucks. But I had no interest in working out or eating properly. And so what ended up happening was it was so easy for me to go from waking up until 7 or 8 p.m. without eating. My body, like it's 1.38 p.m. right now. I haven't eaten breakfast or lunch. and. And, and that is my natural state. And I, you know, my friends are all so obsessed with lunch. And I always, you know, they always, when people meet me and get to spend time close to me, they're always fascinated by the no lunch thing. And, but it's always been my whole life. I worked in the store and there was no time for lunch. That was when we'd get a rush in the store. And so when I was in my late 20s and I wanted to lose weight, it was easy for me to just fight at night I used to always joke with my mom. It's like, I can do Yom Kippur once a week. You know, like I could fast. You know, it wasn't easy because you're so hungry by night when your body's structured the way I was doing it. But then later in my late 30s and early 40s, the last, you know, seven, eight years, I really got serious about health and wellness. I work out all the time. I work on stretching, a lot of different things. And one of the go-tos for me when I, when I'm struggling a little bit with food management, has been fasting, and I really enjoy it, like very much enjoy it. Sure. Um, what, you know, what is it for most people, because I've been talking to a lot of people about it, because it's obviously become, this is something you've been doing for your whole career in some shape or form. Obviously, as you know, you're with Prolong, you're very in it, Fasting has become much more top of mind for a lot of people over the last half decade. Yeah. What, what is it in people's minds when they first, so I've been talking a lot more about it, this is why I wanted you on the show. What is it that scares people so much? Like, it's unbelievable to me how many times I'm saying to my friends, you know, my friend will be like, man, I wanna start getting my 
act together and like, have you thought about fasting? That seems to them as, no way, I can't do that. I can't not eat in a day. Why, why is that such a like, visceral reaction from so many people that I've come across? Yeah, well, essentially, food is like drugs, right? So there's a clear addiction for good reason, not for bad reason, for good reason. Right. So we should eat. Uh, I mean, for the great <laughs> majority of the, of the history of humans, but also the primates and everything else before that, uh, food, uh, you eat as much as you can get, right? And, um, and because eventually the winter is going to come and you're not going to have anything. And so if you didn't overeat... Uh, during the summer when there was a lot of fruits and honey and nuts, you're going to die, right? That's, that's how strong that signal is. Eat, eat, eat. And get fat, by the way, right? And that was this, the, what saved you, right? Getting fat, as fat as possible was what saved people during the winter. Yeah, so that's why you can't uh, uh, sort of instinct-wise, you cannot tell somebody uh, stop eating. Um, and, and then again, you know, it's very important in your show to point out that fasting, I always say, doesn't mean anything, right? So, so fasting is like eating. You know, is eating good for you? Well, yeah, some of it is, and, and some quantities, and some other foods are not, and some other quantities are not, right? So, for example, skipping breakfast, skipping lunch, I do it myself. It seems to be very, very good. Skipping breakfast, breakfast is, does not seem to be good at all, right? So there's study after study after study showing decrease uh, lifespan for people that skip breakfast, right? So then you could say... Well, that, well Mr. Dr. Longer, I'm in deep shit then, if that's the case, because I don't think I've eaten breakfast in 25 years. I yeah, don't get I my act know. together. Yeah, it may be that on you, it does add a... Of course, of course, of course. Maybe of you course. come from a family that always did it. And, of course, you know, of course. But I'm I think that's... A, you know, real quick, I apologize. It's an important point. I, as people become obsessed with health and wellness, I keep reminding all the people in my life, I'm like, yes... That is a study. Yes, that is a trend. Yes, that is science. But don't forget, you better do individual work on your own blood work, on your own, like, you have to get a sense of you. Just like anything, there are common themes, but some people have different structures, correct? Yeah, well, correct. But, but you're still going to Vegas, right? So you're, you're still betting against the numbers, right? So correct. the case correct. of skipping breakfast, for example, you know, you're looking at about 10 studies pretty consistently showing reduced lifespan in those that skip breakfast. Now, is it breakfast? Is it that people that skip breakfast have bad behaviors in general and they're malnourished, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's uh, hard to know. What's surprising, right. though, is if it's so good to skip breakfast, why doesn't that counterbalance the bad uh, behavior, right? Why, why don't we see at least neutral effects, right? You skip breakfast, it's very good for you. Why isn't it making your bad behavior neutral? Uh, and that's what's what's concerning, right? That that we don't see a neutral effect; we see a negative effect. So, or, or, so that suggests, for example, could it be that the ketone bodies? We're doing mouse studies right now, and we were surprised to see that the highest ketone bodies of all were in the Western diet, right? So the Western diet also causes ketogenesis. You know, these byproducts of fat that people always talk about as a positive thing. But they're very high in the Western diet, right? So could it be that by having ketone bodies high all the time, you put a strain on your heart or, you know, there may be fat accumulation, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know. So, uh, so probably best to have breakfast and skip lunch. I think lunch is what I've been doing for 20 years. Uh, and it's a, a great way to uh, regulate, uh, you know, not, over, not, not get the ketone bodies too high, um, but control the weight. 
and uh, and I think it's got a central role in in helping uh, against diseases. Doctor, one of, one of the reasons I really wanted you also is I've been thinking a lot about science professors, professionals entering the entrepreneurial world. So there's a lot of people who are listening to my show who are in academia, who are in the medical field, who are in incredibly high virtue careers, who I think are worried at times to jump into entrepreneurship because they're taking their talents, their knowledge, this you know thing they put on a pedestal and they're bringing it to the business world and I'm very empathetic to them. I th- they believe they are compromising you know, selling out. Uh, they're worried about the judgment of their fellow, uh, you know, partners in academia or finance or uh, education or other things. You obviously have a company. You know, you do these things from a scientific, academic background. Was that a challenge for you to make the leap into entrepreneurship? Did you consider it? Was it something on your radar earlier in your life, and you didn't want to do it because? You felt like it could hurt the science, hurt the mission. It's not the right thing to do when you're trying to really help people. I think this is a profound conversation. And since you're going through it with Prolong, I, I thought you could be a great source of inspiration for some of the people that are on the fence. How did you go through your journey of being in this from a medical academic standpoint to making a jump into entrepreneurship? You know, I, actually, I think the other way around, right? So I will argue that I felt that if I wasn't going to do it, it wasn't going to happen. And that's probably true, right? So we were working on cancer and fasting mimicking diet and diabetes and fasting mimicking diet. And I just thought, for the sake of getting it out there to patients, uh, if I don't go find the clinicians, if I don't sit down with them and start the trials, but also say, hey, it's a product, because otherwise, what are you going to do the clinical trial with, right? Uh, It was uh, nearly impossible, I think, without a company, at least back then, 15 years ago, uh, to start uh, this operation. Now we have over 30 clinical trials running. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, the company sponsors some of them and lots of others are sponsored by the U.S. government, by foundations, by the universities themselves, right? So I just felt kind of like this argument was also made about doctors, right? They should a doctor or a group of doctors right. own a hospital. And it turns out that's probably who you want to ha- own a hospital, right? You want a, a doctors to own the hospital, uh, because they're going to be much more aligned with the patient. When it comes down to a decision, a doctor is always going to go with protect the patient, right? Uh, a yes. businessman might not, right? Somebody selling drugs yes. might not, right? So in yes. my case, I'm always going to think there is no way I'm compromising, you know, the safety and the health of the patient, even if it's a billion dollars to be made, right? But I think a businessman would not hesitate. And, uh, I mean, you know, within the, the, the domains of the law or the limits of, of the course. law, uh, I think most businessmen will say, well, if it's legal, I'll do it. I will say, no, it could be legal. It's going to hurt the patient. You're not going to do this. You know? Of course. Of course. Yeah, I, actually, you know, it's funny. I actually think the best businessmen and women think about the value exchange the most. I I even think if it's gonna hurt somebody emotionally, it's a bad thing. So, you know, I think that's a very powerful thing. What are the biggest misconceptions in the modern fasting conversation? Because you know what happens now? Bad business people who genuinely just care about money and could give a fuck about humans or patients, they see a trend and then they start exploiting it 
what bad information or like help us here? Like what's some of the stuff that undereducated influencers or entrepreneurs or even doc, pseudo doc, like what are we seeing from like bad information? Like what's a thing that you see people believing is true but isn't? Give us a little cheat sheet of things to watch out for if you're on your journey to potentially get a little bit into fasting. Because for everyone who's listening, like again, I know a lot of people genuinely are looking to be healthier and happier and all those things. And I, you know, there's that famous clip in my content of like, what do I think about health and wellness when it comes to business? And I reply to the kid as I'm walking on the floor of a, of a convention, I reply, well, if you're dead, you're out of business. And it like really got very popular. So, you know, I like having people like Dr. Longo on occasionally. One, because I thought that little part about entrepreneurship in the scheme of academia and health is important. But then number two, you know, I like, I like to keep everybody who's listening to the show around longer so they can achieve all their hopes and dreams. And I really think for a lot of you who've never tried it, that it is going to be fasting. That's gonna be the breakthrough on you shedding 15 pounds, feeling healthier, feeling better, da 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 da. So I really want to inspire some people to at least try. It might not be right for you, but at least try. Dr. Lungo, what are some of the, watch out for this right now because everyone's talking about it yeah. in so fasting. One of them we already mentioned, right? For example, and probably the most popular of all, you can do 16 hours and, you know, and I love the work that Sachin Panda and others have done on that. But the 16 hours of fasting and the skipping breakfast is clearly associated with lots of problems. You know, not, not just reduce uh, uh, life, but also gallstone formation. And uh, um, so, so I would say that um, we need to go from uh, the word fasting uh, to what do we know that works? And there are many studies uh, showing that it works and it's unlikely to cause any problems. And, uh, and also... What is going to be the effect of this on lifespan and health span and not just what's going to happen in the next three months? Are you going to lose some weight? So you could lose a lot of weight in a lot of ways, right? But you, most cases, you regain it back. And as, as you go through, let's say, 10% or more weight loss and 10% or more weight regain, that also is associated with a shorter lifespan, right? So it's better to do nothing than to do these yo-yo interventions. So... I think the misconception is very uh, wide. And, and so there are very few things that I think consistently work. For example, I've, and don't have any negative studies associated with it. For example, 12 hours a day of fasting. I always say I've never seen a negative study on 12 hours of fasting, 12 hours of feeding. So it's time-restricted eating. is not You don't get the benefit, the quick benefits that you get with 14 or 16 hours, but you may get long-term uh, I mean, much easier to to not to stay with it, and then you know, much uh, more likely to get you to a long lifespan. Um, and then you know, of course, the other one I'm a fan of is you know, uh, fasting mimicking diet. Uh, I say three or four times a year. Uh, again, a safety record is is very very good. I think over probably a million people now have done it. And we haven't heard uh, back from, uh, uh, I mean, the, the side effects have been really spectacularly low. And uh, yeah, so I think that, um, and I think the fasting mimic diet underlines the, 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 the importance of having things clinically tested as, so we have the FDA for drugs, right? So we have this incredible process. Even yes. look at what happened with COVID, right? I mean, we still have, people were dying, but everybody says, wait, you know, we cannot, uh, 
get things out there just because they might save lives because they're probably going to hurt more people than they save. So let's wait until the approval. It went very quickly, but it still required approval. Now in the fasting world and all of that, there is no approval at all. It's just you wake up in the morning and you hear something and it's like, okay, I'm going to start doing it. Well, that's probably going to hurt you in the long run. Not help you, but hurt you. So focus on the things that have lots of clinical trials on and, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, 12 hours of fasting and the fasting making diet three or four times a year, uh, I think those are, are very good. And then, you know, I, I wrote a book called The Longevity Diet uh, and all of it. Uh, and, and by the way, all, the, all the, uh, my shares of the company are going to go to charity, right? So that's another way of, uh, and I don't take a penny in consulting from the company. So I really financially don't make it from the, wow. from the company. You're the company we're talking about Prolon. We're talking about Prolon and then Lonutra, yeah, yeah. So that. Uh, well, one more time because I think it's going to be a pretty big business. Um, already from is what a I'm pretty big from business. Afar, yeah, yeah. Mazel tov, congratulations. So you're saying all of the profits they are coming your way. You're you're donating. A hundred percent of my shares and a hundred percent of the of the um, what I would get consulting, consulting or whatever goes already to my my foundation, the Create Cures. Uh, a foundation and uh, and even my book uh, <laughs> royalties go to my foundation right so i really only make uh, whatever i make at the university as a professor and nothing else right so was that important to you because you felt that it wouldn't compromise your professor me- medical work yes because i got attacked by lots of journalists right and i got attacked on this yeah. years ago already and i could sense that yes that fair or not they were going to attack me oh he's trying to exploit uh, uh, the, the research to make right. money. And so I say, you know what, uh, I'm just gonna- Let me do I'm this. I'm gonna do this, yeah. Dr. Long, like, like, before we get out of here, like, what's your intuition? Like, if everything goes well, this may happen after you're not on Earth. Like, what's your intuition as, as humans become more educated with the power of what I would call food scheduling, right? Like, like just being more, uh, educated on how this all works. What, what do you think it kind of looks like 50, 100 years from now if this is universally understood and executed? Yeah, I think it's going to, uh, I, I like to think it's what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I think what's going to happen, you're going to have two groups in the world, right? You're going to have whatever, 8 billion people that don't, don't listen to anything. They do whatever they want. And then you're going to have maybe half a billion to a billion people they say, you know what, I'm going to follow the scientists, the science, you know, what I call the multi-pillar approach, you know, clinical studies, epidemiological studies. You put it together and you get a pretty, pretty clear picture. In fact, there was a, a study that came out a, a couple of weeks ago on PLOS Medicine showing if you start, even at age 60, if you start something very close to what I described as the longevity diet, you are associated, your life is going to have eight or nine extra years, right? So starting right now. So I think that, yeah, we, we're going to have these two population, one following everything and living maybe an extra 20 years. Uh, and uh, and everybody and everybody else uh, uh, improvising and uh, maybe on average living uh, uh, twenty years less. Uh, eventually, I think you know we're gonna get better and better. You know, a hundred years from now, then I think it's a different world. You know, it's a different world, and and I think uh, unfortunately or fortunately, we're gonna see a lot of engineering, bioengineering, robotics, say. Uh, and uh, uh, playing, a, playing a part, you know, so now we can make artificial hearts, artificial, you know, pancreas, uh, uh, releasing insulin, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that, and it should be, it should be so. Um, it should, it's going to be much more a part of uh, human life, you know, going to be part human and part uh, 
machine and and you know we already are right so we already are and lots of people are walking around with pumps uh with diabetes yep. type one so it's just a reality and the engineers are are so good that moving forward it's going to take a long time right so i think now nutrition is by far the investment for the next 20 or 30 years eventually slowly i think that the technology is going to take over and uh dr longo if if i asked you if somebody's 20 years old right now What's your guess, your educated guess on what their life expectancy yeah, is? Yeah, so the, the study showed that if you started the longevity diet or something like it and, and at 20, that would be 13 extra years of life expectancy, right? So, so then uh, you're looking at a 20-year-old following everything, maybe looking at 105 as an average lifespan, which is pretty remarkable, right? Uh, yeah, so, yes. so 105 average following all the right things. Uh, uh, with lots of people making it to 110, 115. Uh, yeah, so that, that's what I, I, I think it's, uh, the numbers are showing, but it's got to be a, a careful um, consideration of all the things you do, probably working with some professionals that help you get there. Anything we didn't touch on as we get out of here? Uh, yeah, just very briefly, the longevity diet, I think, you know, Please. what came out of that study was lots of legumes, no red meat, uh, uh, no processed meat, uh, lots of nuts, uh, uh, lots of vegetables. And, uh, um, and so those are the main things that came out of the everyday uh, nutrition uh, and fish was allowed, but uh, there seemed to be the, the best uh, um, animal source of proteins. Uh, so some fish and everything else coming from legumes. Uh, uh, protein wise so a diet that almost nobody in the united states follows but that uh, it will make a tremendous difference i think together with the fmds on making people uh, live longer and healthier but so many people don't want to give up steak you know it's but uh, we published a study a few months ago where we took mice and we put them on a high calorie high protein really bad western diet right and they became very big, you know, and they live very short. Yes. And then we did exactly the same, but we gave them once a month the fasting mimicking diet and it reversed everything. So they live normal life, perfect weight. So, yeah. So then I think uh, if you don't want to give up anything, if somebody's going to have a bad Western diet, then it may have, have to be as frequently as once a month uh, uh, the fasting mimicking diet. So, wait a minute, real quick. That's a really interesting insight. It is your hypothesis that if you're a bad Western dieting, that if you fast for on a certain regimen once a month, that there's an offset there that is balancing. Well, we've shown bit. this in now three clinical trials, right? And there's a fourth one. I mean, one we published, three are going to be published in the next six months, right? So very clearly, uh, the people that start the worst, you know, the ones that have high, higher cholesterol, higher blood pressure, higher fasting glucose. They're the ones that do the best after the three cycles of the fasting making diet. So very clearly in mice, but also very clear in, in human trials that, yes, those that, that have the worst diet uh, would uh, could potentially, uh, and we're not at all saying, okay, keep a bad diet. In fact, I just said, you know, people should switch to a longevity diet, but understanding that most people don't want to do that or lots of people don't want to do that, then yes, you might have to go uh, to a, a fasting mimicking diet as often as once a month, but then I think as that helps you, then you could go once every two months, once every three months. So it could be that at the beginning, 
you have a bad diet and then you do uh, the, the FMD once a month and then eventually maybe once every two or three months could be enough uh, to, uh, to offset at least some or lots of, of the problems caused by your, your bad habits. Not just diet, you know, smoking, you know, we haven't tested that, but I, I mean, it. that's what, uh, what we speculate at least, you know, that it could be a, a way to reverse bad habits, you know. Cheers. Dr. Longo, thank you thank for being you. on the show.